And I'm not here to judge the songs you do in your church. If you want to do like 30% modern songs, 60% modern songs, that's your choice. Uh, or, or 20% of the songs you But what we need at the core of our churches is a diet of songs that sustains us. Welcome back to another episode of Hymn Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Monet Funka. And I'm Cara Devereaux. And in today's episode, we are talking to special guest Keith Getty. We're speaking about his brand new album, Confessio, about how traditional music should be considered in the church and why the hymns of old are so sweet. All that and more. But first, if you're listening on YouTube, hit subscribe and ring the bell so that you are notified when we drop a new episode. We're also available anywhere you listen to your podcast. But the best place of all to keep in touch with us is at himpartial.com, where you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. In that letter, we always have cool, fun, amazing, fantastic bonus content that we do not share anywhere else. So go over to himpartial.com and sign up today. Yeah, we're really excited to have Keith Getty on our show today. We had some great conversation around a variety of subjects, actually. Um, I particularly found the conversation on traditional music uh, very helpful. Yeah, and it was just like such a fun conversation. Of course, he knows like so, so much being like a hymn writer and probably he would call call himself a hymnologist. Uh, is it a hymnologist, the proper term? It is. And you will hear him throughout quoting hymns. And I just want to say for those who are only listening to the audio, he does not have those words in front of them. He is no. just doing it from memory. From memory. So it was just such a rich conversation. We probably could have talked to him all day, um, but he's a busy man and we're really grateful for the time that he gave us. Yep. Um, just a reminder that his new album well, his and Kristen's new album, Confessio, is now out. You can stream that anywhere that you stream music or you can buy it on Amazon or on CD or however you like to get your music. Um, it tied in beautifully with some questions we wanted to ask him anyway. So we're really excited about that. Um, and without further ado, here is the episode. Keith and Kristen Getty are modern hymn writers, with Keith being the first church musician of the modern era to be awarded the OBE from Queen Elizabeth II for services to music and hymn writing. Their hymns, such as In Christ Alone, co-written with Stuart Townend, uniquely cross musical genres and teach Christian doctrine. They have performed for presidents and prime ministers, and their annual national hymn tour and Christmas tour includes sellout concerts each year at the Kennedy Centre and the Carnegie Hall. Since founding Getty Music, it has expanded to include a publishing company of modern hymn writers, a record label, touring company, and an online learning company. Inspired by their first book, they also run the Sing Conference and Festival, which welcomes over 15,000 people to Nashville every year. Their new album, Confessio, Irish American Roots, released just this past weekend. Keith and Kristen live between Nashville and Northern Ireland with their four daughters. Keith, welcome to the show. Cara, it's an honor to be on the show. And uh, oh, 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 it seems highly appropriate because we just we, we spent the last month deciding should this album be called Irish American Roots or Scots Irish American Roots. So to have the two of you, it's just like it's a perfect, this is like the perfect interviewing audience for this. Yeah. And we were really excited to uh, get a little sneak peek, listen to your album, your new album, Confessio, Irish American Roots. Um, 
which congratulations it's it's fantastic uh but what's small part so (laughs) (laughs) well can you tell us what's the story behind this album and its title um the so the album confess you is obviously the 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 poem of st patrick st patrick brought christianity to ireland um and of course he was a hymn writer so he brought the first hymns to ireland mm-hmm. and then confessio was confessio and the breastplate were his two hymns that he wrote and confessio is bearing witness it's, confessio means two things it means either confessing your sins when you've done something wrong or it means confessing your faith for mm-hmm. everything from a creed to a testimony so great hymns are confessios amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me mm-hmm. it's confessio Whatever my lot has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. It's a confessio in Christ alone. My hope is found. They're confessios, and so, and so this project was really all about that. And uh, mm-hmm. and uh, as I said, we we it was really it was, we call it the hymn diary of our year in Ireland. We lived we lived in Nashville, Tennessee. We lived in America for fifteen years. Lived in Nashville, Tennessee for ten, mm-hmm. and uh, and when after Sing Global in two, twenty twenty. We just took the whole family. We just jumped at a plane a week and a half later, took the whole family back to Ireland for the year. And we just lived <laughs> nice. the year in Ireland. And it was the sweetest year of our lives. Yeah. And this is really the hymn diary of that. Someone called it my love letter to, to Ireland, but I, <laughs> I think it's I think a hymn diary is probably a more appropriate word. That's so nice. Um, 2020 was a good year to be in a country as nice as Ireland. No, it really was. I, it really... Yes, it, no, it, it really was. And to be reminded of its beauty, I hadn't been there for 10 months since I was at high school. So yeah. it was, it was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I'm so, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. You know, and, uh, there was one day I was actually looking across, I was setting up, have you ever been to Bally Castle on the North Coast? Bally Castle, a little town. So it looks over to, um, what do you call the island? Um, it looks across to, um, there's a little gorgeous island. Then you see Scotland, you see the Mull of Kintyre. So I was looking across and looking at the Mull of Kintyre one day. And thinking about our Scotch-Irish heritage, Kristen mm. is a Lennox and a Burns, mm. and uh, I'm a Getty and an Irwin. So although we're both Irish, five generations back, we're both Scottish. Wow. And thinking, first of all, of the Irish heritage in Patrick, but then thinking of the Scotch-Irish heritage in particular, and then the migration that went to America. And again, thinking both of how, you know, until the 1980s, Northern Ireland sent more people out around the world as missionaries per head of population than anywhere in the mm-hmm. world. That's mm-hmm. only just been now taken by by South Korea, which has now got more wow. higher percentage. Um, so there's that, but also thinking in particular then of the Scotch Irish heritage and going to America because you know it's still it's still the most dominant single people group in the in the Bible Belt in the Midwest in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as, of course, the Irish in the East Coast, which who are most famous. Um, but it's also how our music, we bought our music, you know, so this this Scotch-Irish music, and Kerry, you're, you're a fiddler, so you'll know this, but, you know, they, the, 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 how that progressed to becoming bluegrass mm-hmm. or Appalachian music or in the more simple forms became country music mm-hmm. or actually the, the, the hymns, the hymns and the shape note hymns and and the gospel song they, they all have their hair the most, most prolific gospel song melody writer in history was the was the son of an immigrant from Belfast Robert Lowry who wrote nothing but the blood of Jesus and shall we gather at the river and all these hymns all these gospel songs so it's just an amazing heritage uh, that we have and been able, been able to have and, and I thought of the tradesmen and the farmers and the pastors and the teachers and the mommies and the aunties and the doctors and the musicians who, who faithfully passed on their faith mm-hmm. and then thought of just 
the pressure that we live under to share the authenticity and the beauty of Christ with mm-hmm. my four little daughters in this mm-hmm. crazy world with with, a, with what seems like uh, a, a revolving ground that we stand on right now. Mm-hmm. So Confessio, like you say, it contains a really nice blend of old and new, both in style and in content. So how did you go about deciding what to include and finding the balance? And could you also tell us a little bit more about what happens to be my favorite song on the album, um, Pass the Promise? Really? My wife will be thrilled. So, um, yeah, okay. So the choice of the songs, I guess, I guess I think of it more from the big picture. You know, this year is 20 years since we wrote In Christ Alone with Stuart Tynan. And uh, and so, so for 20 years, I've been a hymn writer. And then the last the last five, six years of that, I, I've been a hymn publisher. So in other words, mm. so many of the modern hymn writers today, you know, we, we have the privilege of publishing and working with. So Matt Merker, who wrote He Will Hold Me Fast, and mm. my Papa Matt Boswell, who wrote Mercy Is More, Come Behold the Wondrous mm. Mystery. So many of these songs, mm-hmm. um, Ben Shive, uh, so many brilliant writers, you know, with the privilege of publishing. And that really became the second career for me. And then, but I I kind of feel almost as important as both of those things. And maybe in some ways more important is is to steward the great hymns of the faith. Because if you take, if you want to take it from a pastoral point of view, you work, Cara, you work for a a publishing company that publish books that help the Bible go deeper. Mm -hmm. But if you want to think about the, 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 the priorities of a great hymn, and what that can do pastorally for somebody over 50 years, we, we know be that my vision lasts and works. You know, there's, there's not like an argument about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I, I think in Christ alone doesn't. Some of our songs have some reach and some last, but we just don't know. Definitely. And certainly the modern worship songs tend to last, you know, five months to five years. So so you're, you're creating a 50-year pastoral thing. So I think of my daughters and you think of them saying, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then you think of him going to school. I left him off at school this morning at 7.45. And I'm thinking, be thou my wisdom, thou my true word, mm. in all the challenges of learning. Mm. As they apply learning to the media they might see, the songs they will sing, the arguments and debates they get into. Yeah. Then you think of them as teenagers. And that's even more frightening. And you think, be thou my breastplate, sword for the fight, the reality of temptation. You know, yeah. and, uh, and you think, you know, if the Lord grants them success in life, you want them to say, Riches I heed not, mm. nor my praise. Thine my inheritance, mm. now and always. Thine and thy only first in my heart. And as they approach death, you think, High King of Heaven, my victory won. Or you think, My sin, oh the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. Amen. And so you're giving them a fifty-year, you're giving them a fifty-year gift, and the, the the situation we're now in is strategically we're about ten years from washing out the generation who sang hymns, mm. and so the critical need right now to make sure, and I'm not here to judge the songs you do in your church. If you want to do like thirty percent modern songs, sixty percent modern songs, that's your choice, and uh, or twenty percent songs. But what we need at the core of our churches is a diet of songs that sustains us mm-hmm. in the same way as in our eating habits. We need so much protein, so much vitamins, so much fiber to be have healthy bones and healthy mm-hmm. bodies. And uh, so I think that, that, that honestly, that's kind of how I went about the project. And then it was mm-hmm. just music that moved us. Yeah. And you guys know yourself. We, we, we played about with, I'm sure, 50, 60, 70. If you include songs, we wrote over 100 ideas for the project. And these were the best ones. 
So Pastor Promise was nothing to do with me. <laughs> I working. I'm like writing songs with my wife. I probably did 30, 40 sessions with my wife this year. There wasn't a single song that we wrote in all of that that was good enough for this record. All, all my heart rejoices was buzzed back. We did that last October. We wrote that at the back end of last year. Hmm. Uh, but of all the songs, none of them was good enough. Sandra McCracken walks round to our house. <laughs> another good, another good Scotch Irish name, Sandra hmm. McCracken, walks round to the house. The two of them are looking after their kids on the floor, jamming with one chord, with one chord, one chord. And they come up with Pass the Promise. And that was it. She left an hour and a quarter later. She looked at her watch and said, I actually have to go. I said, why don't you play this to everybody before you go? They played it to everybody. And we all went, that's kind of catchy. It's kind of simple. (laughs) And then they went, okay, that's okay. And everyone's going to dinner four hours later, having worked in 20 more songs. And everyone's sitting going to dinner going, pass the promise to us. And I went, oh, no, this is just heartbreaking. So <laughs> that songwriting, you know, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. But, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good, you know, it's a, I think someone, someone told me, someone who'd done some research, did a project on Kristen's, on Kristen's lyric writing recently, I think for a university project or something. They said that something like 80% of her songs are actually about sons, daughters, and families, children and families. Mm. And, uh, and it's, but it's interesting because the best of our art tends to speak to the closest parts of our heart. You yeah. know? I mean, mm-hmm. I think this is probably a slight overreach, but it is interesting, isn't it? That, that David's, David's most impactful Psalm was 23, uh, him being a shepherd. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. That, there's something, the, the resonance of that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but that's, that's where she feels strongest. That's just where she comes alive. But James Ainscoe, who's down in London, um, who runs our, the Getty Music Foundation, which is our, our foundation, which should have gives money to majority, majority, basically the same thing as the hymns, but in the majority world. Mm. Uh, he, he, his prayer for the song, he talked about in our devotions this week, he says, was that whole congregations will sing this for all the children in their care. Mm. If we believe in the congreg, if we believe in the in the theology of the church gathered, that that as we gather as a congregation, that we will take all the children there, and put them in our prayers, and in our care, mm. and commit ourselves to them. Yeah. So anyway, um, I do have a follow up question on traditional music. So, yeah. um, it's actually something I've struggled with uh, yeah. as a fiddle player and a Christian. Um, so historically, the use of traditional music in church worship has been controversial, um, yep. particularly in the UK. I'm not sure about America. Um, so how do we decide what's appropriate to use in our church services and what's more appropriate just to listen to for our own enjoyment? OK, so I'll give you a few broad principles and you can work it out from there. My personal view, which is not shared by everything, is that every square inch of this world is the Lord's. If we believe in the sovereignty of God and that he is, then then every square inch, everything that that um, that e- even the mind of Richard Dawkins is a God given mind. Mm. And thus, thus all music and all beauty is from him. So that, that's the first. So I believe that all that there's no such thing as bad, 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 beautiful music. That all music is beautiful. Secondly, I believe that the purpose of music, the primary purpose of music in a church service is to help God's people sing. Mm-hmm. So if it helps God's people sing, then you should play it and play it well and play it excellently mm-hmm. because they deserve that. And, and, it, and it's for the best, highest, it's the highest possible purpose. Mm-hmm. But if the music is distracting them from the singing unnecessarily, 
And I don't mind somebody just going, wow, they really are good at the organ or they're good at the violin because people should think that. Mm -hmm. But if it becomes unnecessarily distractful that you stop enjoying singing, Mm -hmm. like taking it away, then don't. So I would say, number one, it's all given by God. Mm -hmm. Number two, make sure that the purpose, the purpose of anybody using music um, in church in the same way as anybody using preaching or anyone praying is using their abilities to point to the Lord in a way that is authentic and beautiful and honoring of him. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, I believe that God puts us in puts us in local fellowships and local mm-hmm. churches. So we honor our leaders. So if the leaders in our church don't want to do it, then you either move churches or you honor your leaders or you sit down with them and try and reason with them and show them your sincerity. So mm-hmm. one, two, three, mm-hmm. that's all I got for you. No, those are excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, me, I'll, give you a fourth, I'll give you a totally fourth reflection then. So a <laughs> fourth reflection is this. Um, John MacArthur sat down beside me at an event once and said, I'd like to have a word with you in your songs. And I'm thinking, Uh (laughs) and he said, have you ever considered how gracious God was in letting you grow up in Northern Ireland? So Mm -hmm. that I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, so that the world could sing your hymns. And I said, I'm sorry, but it's probably the most parochial place on God's earth. (laughs) And he goes, no, no, no. But he says, your melodies are the most singable. Mm. So your mu- your music is best, Keith, when it is most when it sounds most Irish or Scotch Irish, mm. whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, and so I would say that uh, John MacArthur was not wrong in that case. Mm. Our music is so extraordinarily singable mm-hmm. that I think when we lean into folk music, there's two or three good things it does. It they're very singable melodies, most of them. A lot, sorry, a lot of them are very singable melodies. Mm-hmm. So it makes it easier for a congregation to sing. And also they transcend generation. Mm, yeah. Whereas when you get some skinny worship leader at the front trying to sound like Adele or trying to sound like Coldplay or Bono or something, you know, that's actually not joining God's people together. No. Do you know what I mean? It's actually, it's actually really destructful, destructful mm. in most congregations. Mm. Um, so I would say I would advocate, fourthly, that, it, that it's a very helpful thing. Not necessary but helpful. Yeah. I mean, uh, be thou my vision is one that we've talked about on the show, having that history, that folk, um, folk song, um, tune that, that is used for it. And and it's wonderful that, you know, it was picked up to that tune and that people knew it already and they could sing these wonderful lyrics as you recited earlier, uh, without, um, feeling, overwhelmed by the melody or or really distracted by the melody because it's very easy to sing um so quickly before you go we want to keep you here all day by the way because you're saying so many good things um can you tell us about your 30 hymns project Mm. oh my goodness no that's just you know the same conference was created to try and make a difference um we set a we set a number of principles at the start that we wanted it to be. Um, we we appreciated the conferences that were around, but we didn't like them. We didn't I mean, and we didn't think they were going to work for what we're doing. Number one, we wanted the sing conference to be a festival of beautiful music. Mm. You know, most Christian conferences are really bland and really boring. And even if the speakers are great, those ones honestly are the most boring. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't mean to be unkind. They just are. I mean, as as events, as actual events. They bore the stuffing out of me. Okay, <laughs> so I wanted I wanted to create something that was a festival of music and art. Yeah. Um, but secondly, secondly, we wanted to have equally high levels of teaching. Um, 
Then thirdly, we married to that so that art was was known. Art was being linked. Great art, great singing, great music was being linked with great preaching because it mm-hmm. rarely is. Art, there seems to be in the last 50 years a separation, whereas Luther and even Calvin in his own way and Jonathan Edwards and the Wesleys and Moody and all these people, they wouldn't have dreamed of preaching without great music that matched what they were saying because they understood that the two, two had to go hand in hand. The last 50 years of evangelical leaders, it's kind of like we look after the, this preaching and somebody else will look after the music. It's, it's mm-hmm. thoroughly unbiblical, actually. Mm-hmm. So so, so that I put the two together. The third thing is we wanted to hit, we wanted to try and hit the key issues, hit key issues. And, uh, and, uh, and, but by doing that, by doing that, it had to be a three, six, five journey. In other words, if you go to a conference for 48 hours, you're going to a few big talks, you're having a few important meetings, going to dinner with somebody and making old friends and getting in a conversation. Like how many key issues have you actually got the energy to digest? Mm. You know, none, one, two. So we thought let's do it three, six, five days a year. So so one of the things, this year's thing was the great hymns of the faith. So basically we're going through, most of these hymns are done at the conference, but we're then going through one a week. And the challenge mm-hmm. is that you should know it, that your mm-hmm. family should know it and have mm-hmm. it played in your house. Mm-hmm. And number three, that your church should know it. And so some churches will know all of them, some will know none of them, but we just thought people have to start somewhere. You know, yeah, we had yeah. to find somewhere. And if this can just be a reminder and get them going, mm-hmm. here's 30 hymns. So the first one was, it was well with my soul linked mm-hmm. to the, linked to the, the global hymn saying number two was all people that on earth do dwell or just the doxology. And a lot of that was to help people start to sing in harmony in their churches. Mm-hmm. And then number three this week is a mighty fortress because Sunday is Reformation Sunday. Yes. So it's, <laughs> you'll be, you'll be shocked at this Monet. You know, even though a mighty fortress is, is a, as a European hymn, you know, Americans, I've always wondered why is it Americans sing it all the time and the mm. Brits and the Celts never sing it. Mm. They never do. I finally found out last week after 15 years of, con- of confusion and frustration, it was translated into English by a Unitarian American. Ooh. So that's why it never gets sung in Britain. And I suspect, given its Germanic overtone, do you know what I mean? Then yeah. there wasn't a huge incentive to either historically mm. when the British mm. church was making all the hymn books. So yeah, that's an interesting one because we've talked about it before, like translated hymns uh, and how they really pick up popularity and how they're almost like different hymns, depending on who does the translating mm. and also what tune gets picked up to it in that yeah. place where it's translated. That's really fascinating. I, that's that's my jam. I'm not sure it's fascinating that if you ask like a thousand people on the street <laughs> and to the three of us. It is like, it is. It is like mind-bendingly interesting. <laughs> Before we let you go on the podcast, <laughs> uh, where can people reach you? What's the best place to find you? Um, we're at um, gettymusic.com is our website. And then Keith and Chris and Getty on Facebook. And I think I don't, I don't do any social media, but my wife does Facebook and Instagram. And uh, I think she's also getting, we're supposed to be getting TikTok next week. Apparently I don't, oh, dear. I, I've never, I've never seen TikTok. I don't even know what TikTok is. I, don't, I literally have no social media. So <laughs> I'm a complete word. But the best place to get the music is honestly streaming services. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Keith and Chris and Getty YouTube site, you can listen to all the hymns for free. Obviously you can go to the website and buy the stuff, but you can get them all for free there. And then of course they're on, they're on streaming and Spotify and Apple and Amazon and Pandora as well. Great. Fantastic. Thank you very much.